Would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, reading verses 1 and 2. Where Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Last month, from my COVID sickbed, which I've not got nearly enough sympathy from the congregation for, that's your rebuke of the day, but from my COVID sickbed, I read the biography of a a preacher called Edward Irving, a 19th century Presbyterian minister by a writer, Arnold Dalimore. Now, Edward Irving is a very intriguing character. He was assistant minister to the founding father of the Free Church, Thomas Chalmers, in Glasgow. He was a man who was greatly admired by the famous Robert Murray McShane, who said of him, I look back on Irving with awe, as on the saints and martyrs of old. And yet Irving was a man who, despite his many, many giftings, had a number of flaws, a man of whom McShane said he is now with the God and Saviour whom he wronged so much, yet I am persuaded loved so sincerely. He wronged his God and Saviour so much, yet loved his Saviour so sincerely. Now, now how did he wrong his God and Saviour so much? Well, it would seem that in his ministry he lost touch with the Gospel that he was very focused on social work among the people of his community, and yet despite his love for those within his community, he actually forgot to preach the gospel to them. And so Dalimore writes in his biography, the visitation among the Carlton weavers was Irving's chief pastoral labor during his days with charmers. His kindness and devotion merit our warmest praise, Yet it is much to be regretted that he did not go to these people with the gospel, thereby to see men and women converted, sin's power broken, and lives transformed by grace. Well, the Apostle Paul stands in very sharp contrast with Edward Irving. Paul was a man who loved the gospel, a man who boldly proclaimed the gospel. And that is especially evident from these verses that we have just read from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is found reminding his readers about the centrality of the gospel and also reasserting the content of the gospel to them. And so today we're going to focus on these verses under two very simple headings. Paul's reminder... And then Paul's reassertion. First we have Paul's reminder. Look at verses 1 and 2, where Paul directs his reader's attention to the centrality of the gospel. At the beginning of verse 1, Paul tells the Corinthians that he is writing to remind them of the gospel. We read, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Paul starts by referring to the Corinthians here as brothers. That's interesting when we remember the state that the church in Corinth was in during Paul's day. It had been ripped apart by various factions. Some of them were saying, well, I follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Peter. Others were saying, I follow a man called Apollos. And still others were saying, I follow Jesus. 
Not only that, the church had been invaded by sexual immorality. The, the sexual immorality that was celebrated by the culture was beginning to be embraced and celebrated within the church of Corinth. Not only that, they had somehow managed to turn the Lord's Supper into a drinking festival. Not only that, a number of their church members were worshipping the very false gods that were being worshipped in Corinth while also professing their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that all wasn't bad enough, there were also legal disputes among the members where you would have uh, Kenneth taking Spangy to court to resolve legal disputes with each other. This church was a mess. This church was, to use a modern phrase, a toxic congregation. And as Paul writes to this divided, dysfunctional, degenerate group of professing Christians, he calls them brothers. And Paul goes on and tells his brothers in Corinth that he wants them to remember the gospel that he had preached to them. Back in 50 AD, Paul had gone to the great city of Corinth in southern Greece, and he had spent the best part of three years preaching the gospel to them. He resolved to know nothing while he was with them but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preached and he preached and he preached the gospel for these two or three years. And now, less than three years after leaving Corinth, Paul is writing to remind them of the gospel because their behavior seems to suggest that they were forgetting it. Their behavior seems to suggest that they were allowing the gospel to slip through their fingers. Then in the second half of verse 1 and on into verse 2, Paul highlights the importance of this gospel to the Corinthians. Look at what he says. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul has just told the Corinthians that he had preached the gospel to them, and he now writes that they received this message. Verse 1. They had given their agreement, they had given their approval, they had given their assent to what Paul had been saying. They, they had received this gospel as truth. Paul goes on and tells them that they didn't simply receive this message, but they were also continuing to stand on this message. Look again at verse 1. They had embraced Paul's gospel in the past, and now, despite their division, despite their dysfunction, Despite their degenerate behavior, they're still standing on the gospel. We think that they must just be completely away from it, but no, there is still a way that they are still standing on the gospel. But Paul goes further and tells them that while they are presently standing on the gospel they, that they had received, they must continue to hold fast to it. Look at verse 2. He tells them that they will be saved through this message. That word saved speaks of deliverance. It speaks of rescue. It's a word that speaks of the deliverance, the rescue, the salvation that will come from the wrath of God on the last day, the day of judgment, the final day of reckoning. And this gospel which Paul preached to the Corinthians and which the Corinthians received will be the means by which they will be saved, they will be rescued, they will be delivered on that last day, that day of judgment. But Paul makes it clear, look at the end of verse 2, that they will only be saved if they continue to hold fast to this word, this gospel that he preached to them. It's not enough for them to have received that message in the past. 
And it's not enough for them to be standing on that message in the present. They must hold fast to this message to the end. If they fail to do so, if they let go of the gospel, Paul says to them, they will have believed in vain. They will have believed for no purpose. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we are being reminded about how important, how crucial, how central, how significant the gospel is. That is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He had preached the gospel, a word of good news to them, and they had received that word, they had given their amen to what Paul was saying, and at the same time they are continuing to stand on that gospel, but Paul is warning them that if they fail to hold on to the gospel, if they lose touch with the gospel, if they let go of the gospel, they will not be saved. Quite simply, if they allow the gospel to slip through their fingers, the wrath of God will eventually be poured out on them on the last day. And friends, that is so important for us to hear today. Tim Keller has often said that the gospel is not the A, B and C of the Christian life where you begin with the gospel and then move on to something else. He says the gospel is the A to Z, or in the American way, the A to Z of the Christian life. You begin with the gospel. You continue with the gospel. You end with the gospel. You you never leave the gospel behind. You never move on from the gospel. If we allow the gospel to slip through our fingers, then we can only expect to face the judgment of God at the last day. If we let go of the gospel, if we lose touch with the gospel, we can only expect to receive wrath on that last day. It's not enough to have professed faith in the facts of the gospel and then attend a church for 20 years and never missed a service and even become an elder or a deacon in the church and to then wander away from the gospel, lose touch with the gospel. Paul is saying here, you must receive the gospel, you must continue with the gospel, you must hold fast to the gospel to the end to be saved. We can illustrate it like this. If you were falling from a plane, you wouldn't take off your parachute until you safely landed. Or if you were adrift at sea, unable to swim, You wouldn't take off your life jacket until you safely reached land or a lifeboat or some other vessel picked you up. And in the same way, we never let go of the gospel. We never leave the gospel behind until we enter glory, until we enter God's promised salvation, until faith gives way to sight. So as we think about this, let me ask you two questions. Can I ask you today, friend, each and every one of you, have you received the gospel Now, if we were in Bill's Baptist kind of churches, you would either say yes or no audibly. But have you received the gospel? And if you have, are you continuing to hold on to the gospel? So there's Paul's reminder. We move, though, from the reminder to the reassertion, verses 3 down to 11, where Paul directs his reader's attention to the content of the gospel. Paul begins by reasserting that the gospel he preached is the message of Christ's death. Verses 3 and 4. We read, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. Paul starts by 
saying that the message he delivered was a message that he received. This wasn't something Paul had made up. It wasn't something that Paul had fabricated. It wasn't something Paul had invented. This was a message that Paul had received. And having received this message, he delivered it to the Corinthians as a matter of first importance. This is the prime thing that Paul sought to get across to the Corinthians. And Paul continues by saying that the message that he delivered was the message of Christ's death for sins. Look at verse 3. Paul's gospel consisted of the fact that Christ died. He's already said in chapters 1 and 2 that Christ was died by crucifixion. And Paul's gospel consisted of the fact that Christ died that death of crucifixion for sins. There was a purpose. There was a reason. There was a goal for his death. His death was sacrificial. His death was substitutionary. His death was an atoning sacrifice. He died in the place of his people. He died instead of his people. He received the wrath, the judgment of God in place of his people. And Paul carries on and says, Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. Look at verse 3 again. Paul fully believed that the death of Christ was planned and predestined by God. And because it was planned and predestined by God, it was prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament scriptures. No doubt he has passages such as Isaiah 53 in mind that speak of one who would be crushed for his people, one who would be a sacrifice for his people, one who would be pierced for the transgressions of his people. And Paul goes further and says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Verse 4. Here is the definitive proof that he really died. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint on the cross. He died and he was buried in a tomb. That is where his lifeless, mangled body was placed. Then in verses 4 down to 10, Paul reasserts that the gospel he preached was the message not simply of Christ's death, but also Christ's resurrection. We don't need to read these verses, but Paul begins by saying that Christ was raised on the third day, beginning of verse 4. He literally says that Christ has been raised and he continues to be raised. According to Paul, Paul has been raised, raised by the power of God. And according to Paul, Christ continues to be raised. Even as Paul is writing 20 years after the event, Christ is, is still risen. Paul continues by saying that Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 4 again. Once again we can see that Paul fully believed that the resurrection of Christ was planned and predestined by God. And because it was planned and predestined by God, it was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. And no doubt he has passages such as Psalm 16 in mind. That psalm that King David wrote about God not allowing his holy one, his holy servant, to see the corruption of the grave. But Paul goes even further as he says that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to many people. Look at verses 5 to 10. Here is the definitive proof that Christ was really risen. He appeared to people. He appeared to Cephas, an Aramaic term for Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve, his disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 500 eyewitnesses, they all saw him at the same moment, at the same time. And Paul says, most of them are still alive. You can go and speak to them about this. You can ask them about this. They have seen it, but some of them have fallen asleep. They They have died. Then Paul goes on and says that he appeared to James, Jesus' brother. 
one of the leading men in the early church. He then appeared to all the apostles, a, a, a larger group uh, containing but not restricted to the twelve disciples. Uh, and last of all, Paul says he appeared to himself. Look at how Paul describes himself. One untimely born. That's a Greek expression for a stillborn child or an aborted child. Paul says here that his condition before Christ appeared to him was like that of a a stillborn child. He He was spiritually dead. And he goes on and says that he is the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because he had been a persecutor of the church of God. But despite all this, he says he is an apostle and preacher of the gospel by the grace of God, by God's undeserved favor. And the grace of God toward him hadn't been in vain, Paul says, because he had worked harder than anyone else. But even his hard work, he says, was down to the grace of God. Christ appeared to people, appeared to Cephas, appeared to the twelve, appeared to the 500 brothers at one time, appeared to James, appeared to the apostles, and then appeared to Paul. And having reasserted that his message consisted of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, Paul makes a final statement. Look at verse 11. He writes these words, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul is telling the Corinthians that the message that he preached and the message that the other apostles preached was really the same message. Now, they had different personalities. They had different modes of delivery. You know that yourselves. We have Jodo preaching. We have Callum preaching. We have James preaching. We have Robert preaching. We have Donnie preaching. We have myself preaching. We're all different. We've all got different modes of delivery, but I hope that we're all preaching the same message. And that is what Paul's saying here. We have different modes of delivery, but we preach the same message of the death and resurrection of Christ. And Paul tells the Corinthians at the very end of verse 11 that that was the message that they in the Corinthian church had believed. This was the message that they had received. It was the message that they were standing on. And it was the message that they were to hold on to. The message that Paul and others had preached about the death and resurrection of Christ. Of Christ. Well, as we consider these verses, friends, we are being reminded about what the message of the gospel actually is. We are being given its content. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He has just encouraged them to continue to hold on to the gospel, to not let go of the gospel, to not lose touch of the gospel, to not let the gospel slip through their fingers. He has just said to them, remember how central, how crucial, how significant the gospel is. And instead of simply assuming that they know the gospel, he reasserts the gospel to them. He reminds them of the content of the gospel. He reasserts that the gospel, this message of good news, is the message that Christ died for the sins of his people and that he is risen and continues to be risen for his people. And that is so important for us to hear today. Friends, if you go away with anything today, go away with this. The gospel is not a good advice message about what we must do for Jesus. It's not a good advice message. The gospel is a good news message about what has been done for us by Jesus. That is the gospel. 
The gospel is the message of Christ's death for the sins of his people and has been raised from the dead for his people. And a Christian is someone who has heard that gospel, received that gospel, is standing on that gospel and continues to hold fast to that gospel. A Christian is someone who can say that Christ has died and he has risen and he has died and he has risen for them. Look at the way that Paul emphasizes in these verses that Christ died for our sins. He doesn't speak generally and say Christ died for sins. Anyone can say Christ died for sins. The devil can say that Christ died for sins. But Paul says here, Christ died for my sins. Christ died instead of me. And he is risen and continues to be risen for me. That is what the Christian says. If you are a Christian, that is your testimony. This is the gospel, friends, that we never, never, never move on from. We never leave it behind. The gospel is not based on our subjective feelings. It is not based on our subjective experiences. The gospel is based on the objective truths of the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of Christ. The gospel is the message that is centered on the person and work, not of Hugh Ferrier, not of Jodo, not of Bella, not of Ian, not of Murdo, Megan or David. The gospel is the message that is centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus, according to the scriptures. And all we are called to do is receive that message, hold on to that gospel, and the Jesus who is presented and offered to us freely in that gospel. So as we close, I want to ask again, friend, have you received the gospel? Have you received the message of the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of Jesus for his people? Have you received, have you embraced this message and this saviour who is presented in that message? And if you have, friend, are you continuing to hold on to that message by which and through which you will be saved? It is very, very simple. So let's move away from looking for experiences. Let's move away from looking for feelings. And let's look to Jesus and what he has done for his people.